Hello and welcome to the Segula Discussion Podcast, the show where we discuss how discipleship to Messiah Yeshua informs our choices and actions in everyday life. My name is Daria Frostad, and with me today is my husband, Ben. And our conversation today is going to be about why we keep Torah. That's right. So this conversation today is building off of an article we posted a number of years ago on our website. Uh, We'll have the link in our show notes if you want to take a look at the original article. But yeah, we thought we'd talk about what are some of the reasons why why we keep Torah. Uh, So we are followers of Yeshua, of Jesus. We also believe in following the commandments of the Old Testament. And so there's a number of different names for this kind of perspective. Some people use the term messianic. Uh, You hear some people use the term Hebrew roots or Torah movement or uh, Torah believer or things like that. We could probably do another podcast episode about terminology and some of the politics that are involved in that. But anyway, for today, we want to ask a more basic question. Why do we keep Torah? This episode is not going to be a comprehensive theological defense of our position or anything like that. Instead, we want to keep it more simple and share from our heart what our motivation is for following Torah, and hopefully clear up some common misunderstandings along the way. Yeah, and we don't do it because we're trying to earn our salvation. Right. (laughs) So, I think a good place for us to start is to just briefly share our story of how God brought us here. Uh, I grew up in what you might call a conventional evangelical Christian home. We went to a Baptist church, and when I was about uh, 13 years old, 12 or 13, our family started learning about the feasts, the biblical festivals. Uh, We started learning about the Sabbath and things like that, and it just started to make sense to us. And we thought, well, why aren't we doing this stuff? Uh, Why aren't we keeping this stuff? All the feasts, we, we realized they point to... Yeshua, they point to Messiah, and we thought they sounded kind of fun. I think the real clincher for us, especially for me, was the discovery that we had seriously misunderstood Paul. Once it became clear to me that all these passages in Paul's letters, which seemed to depict the Torah as something bad, that actually there are compelling alternative ways to interpret each of those passages, and suddenly it felt like the whole Bible made sense. We started with the festivals and and were just captivated by the beautiful way that they all point to Yeshua. So we started going into that a little bit, and then pretty soon we started thinking, well, maybe we shouldn't be eating pork. And it's been a a bit of a journey from there. And so, yeah, we often get questions as, you know, well, why exactly would you do that? Uh, didn't, Didn't Jesus abolish the law? Uh, isn't all that stuff done away with now? Why would you Why would you keep those Old Testament things? And I guess in this episode, we want to answer that question. For starters, I, I can say for myself and for my family, as a, and you know, when I was a teenager, that it made our faith come alive. Like uh, suddenly, the Bible was exciting. It made sense. And we just grew in an amazing way and fell in love with God's word and with Yeshua uh, more than we had before. Yeah, and you know, for myself, it's a little bit different, but 
I grew up most of my life in a Christian home, and my parents raised me to believe in the Bible and to believe in Yeshua, in Jesus. And uh, we were actually part of a home fellowship where we were already keeping the Seventh-day Sabbath and eating the clean foods, um, but we weren't keeping like the biblical holidays. In fact, we didn't keep any holidays in my, in my childhood growing up. Like We didn't do Christmas or Easter, but we didn't do any of the biblical holidays either. Um, except I think we did like the Lord's Supper maybe once a year. Anyway, so then when I was a teenager, we started finding reading about the feasts and and just studying about the whole concept of a covenant and what is the new covenant. And, you know, like I remember as a teenager listening to my parents talking over and over again about this word covenant. And, and in Jeremiah, I think it's like chapter 30, where it talks about, I will write a new covenant on their hearts, that I will put my laws on their hearts. And like this whole concept that the new covenant isn't about doing away with God's law, but it's about writing it in our hearts. And this is just this whole new paradigm shift about what that means and that the law was never really erased and done away with. So we started keeping the feasts and, you know, other things. And I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really great. Like, we loved doing Sukkot, you know, the Feast of Tabernacles and getting to go to a camp with other believers. And it really increased our appreciation and our knowledge of Yeshua and the Bible by keeping the, the, the biblical feasts. Yeah. Maybe a question we should start out before we get too carried away is, what is Torah? What does the word even mean, right? So Torah is a Hebrew word, Torah. It is the word that you see in the Old Testament. It's usually translated as law in our English Bible. So the law of the Lord, the law of Moses. And in Hebrew, this is going to be the word Torah. And in Torah, it, you know, the English word law has some connotations that I don't think are really there with the word Torah. Torah actually comes from the verbal root yara, which means to teach. It's related to the noun more, which means teacher. So Torah can mean teaching, can mm -hmm. mean instruction. Uh, it's, it's God's teaching and instruction for how his people are to live. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, sometimes law has a bit of a negative connotation, especially uh, when we think of words like legal, legalism, you know, that's a bad word. You don't want to be legalistic, right? Uh, but when you put it in terms of God's instruction, suddenly that's, that's a big thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And you definitely see that when you read the Psalms, that King David often talks so positively about God's law is good and perfect and yeah. he uses words like commandments and statutes and instructions and all those are somewhat synonymous right. with each other. Yeah, a good study is to read through Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, and, and just notice how almost every single verse has some has either the word Torah itself or a synonym of the word Torah in it. You yeah, know? and it's in a very positive light. Right. Like he loves yeah. it and delights in it. Yeah. So so God's Torah is a good and gracious gift that he gave to his people. Yeah. So I guess we should dive into some of the reasons. Why is it that, that we as followers of Jesus would follow the Torah? Um, you know, there's... There, there's a lot of different kinds of commandments in the Torah, right? There's um, 
a lot of moral commandments that all Christians And a lot of them, hate, like, right? we are already following, right? Like, not to oppress the stranger and to take care of the orphan and the widow. Don't lie. Don't steal. Right. You don't know, commit you adultery. Don't bear false witness. You know, these are, these are all commandments of the Torah. Yeah, and these are all things that, you know, Christians who follow Yeshua are trying to keep already. Right. So you live in that kind of way. Yeah. There are also quite a few commandments that are dependent on the existence of a temple, right? Yeah. Sacrificial commandments and things like that. So that, those are not applicable right now. Right. So, well, you know. There is no temple. The fact that we don't go into our backyard and sacrifice a goat is actually keeping Torah. Yeah. the Torah says you're not allowed to do that. Yeah, because only... if we did that, that would be breaking Right. God's the Torah specifically says you're not allowed to sacrifice outside of right. the temple in so Jerusalem. So they take away all of those ceremonial laws. And then, you know, if you look at it beyond the general moral principles that our Judeo-Christian society is founded upon. Right. Yeah. Then the... there's some other commandments. Right. So, so the main commandments left. And these are kind of the commandments that distinguished Christianity and Judaism historically, right? right. You know, uh, Jews do things like a seventh-day Sabbath, mm-hmm. uh, following the biblical festivals, mm-hmm. um, keeping kosher, right? Abstaining from the meat of certain animals and, and yeah. other rules related to that, um, wearing tzitzit, uh, things like this, right? Yeah. Um, so sometimes, you know, when we're talking about Torah, we're uh, it's it's easy to get a bit of a narrow perspective and think it's just these things, Sabbath festivals, dietary laws, and seat seat. Uh, but actually, there's a lot more to Torah, and uh, most Christians are already keeping most of the Torah yes. that applies to us today. Mm-hmm. So the biggest reason, though, why we would venture beyond what most Christians keep and and actually go delve into like the Sabbath and festivals, the dietary laws. Reason number one is because my rabbi kept it. My rabbi Yeshua, our uh, Savior, our Messiah, he was and is Jewish, right? He lived his life, his ministry on earth as a Jewish rabbi, a, a Jewish teacher. And like other rabbis, he had disciples, right? So yeah. dis- the job of a disciple is to imitate your master, right? You imitate your rabbi. And to become like him. That's right. Yeah. And so like those popular WWJD, what would Jesus do? Right. You know, that's like, well, he kept the Torah. He kept the seventh day Sabbath. That's and... right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's number one reason for us and, yeah. and coming into uh, examining some of this. That was the big thing for us is, well, if Yeshua kept it, for one thing, it can't be bad. Right. Right. It can't be bad to delve into these things if these are the things that Yeshua himself did. Mm-hmm, right? Exactly. And and look at verses like uh, 1 John 2, verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Right? Those are, I mean, he's our example in everything, right? Um, in, in so many ways, he's our example. And we're to emulate him as much as possible. So why not? Keep the Sabbath, since he kept the Sabbath. Why not follow the biblical calendar, since he did that? Yeah, yeah. And he says that he never came to abolish the Torah. Right. But to fulfill it. Yeah, Matthew five seventeen. And he was the perfect fulfillment of it. He 
kept it perfectly. Right, exactly. And, and so this is, I think, an important thing because sometimes when I talk to other Christians, there's this sense that, oh, well, if you if you keep Torah, that could be a distraction from following Jesus. You know, you might get distracted by the Torah, but our experience has been the opposite. I mean, far from a distraction, Yeshua becomes front and center in our observance, right? It's all about him. And uh, our experience as a family has been that it's made our faith in him come alive. Yeah, I feel like it makes life more intentional. Keeping the Sabbath, keeping the feasts makes you focus on certain things at certain times, and it provides a rhythm and a yearly cycle. And so I've noticed like an interest in this among evangelicals, that there's a renewed interest in the traditional Christian liturgic calendar, for example, keeping Lent and Advent. Right. And, and I can see why that's appealing, why that's attractive. You know, people who do that say that it, they enjoy being part of this yearly cycle, being on a calendar. But mm-hmm. God's already given us that, you know, during Passover, we focus on Yeshua's death and resurrection. We focus on him saving us out of sin. During the fall festivals, we focus on him returning again to reign as king. And we focus on the anticipation of that, you mm-hmm. know, and it's also a somber time. We also focus on the judgment and we focus on Yeshua who has cleansed us and his righteousness. And then, so like we have these times that make it really intentional. And I find that it really enriches our life more yeah for the sabbath every week we are reminded to rest and we're reminded of having a day where our focus is more intentionally on god and i i've also found that for the children this has been really great like oh definitely it gives a concrete understanding of spiritual concepts and i think i'm, I'm appreciating that more now as a parent yeah that you know it's something their children can practice in they can see they can taste they can understand these spiritual things right yeah well you you see in kind of in the history of evangelicalism there there is kind of a reaction against some of the ritualism uh, of other forms of christianity and so resulted in this push away from that trying to get rid of um, anything that's ritualistic and and just be more uh spontaneous or or whatever right uh but now we kind of see the reverse happening in evangelicalism where there's a a yearning for more structure right now people it seems like people want more ritual like there's been that push away from anything that's ritual and now people are needing that yeah we're seeing that as humans we have a need for for meaningful repetition yeah. Right. To to walk in patterns and habits of behavior that form you and shape you spiritually. Right. And and that's something that a lot of evangelicals are now uh, looking for. Mm-hmm. And uh, like you said, one stream is looking for that in some of the early uh, even Catholic or uh, Greek Orthodox kinds of practices. Right. Right. Uh, there's there's a lot of evangelicals turning to those things. But, yeah, we've got that structure yeah. laid down in God's word. Like, God already prepared that. So, like, why not keep his his calendar? Why not celebrate his holidays that are in scripture? Right, you yeah. Know? And, like, every Friday night when we begin Shabbat, when we begin the seventh-day Sabbath, 
we have a really special festive family meal for that. We light candles. We say blessings. Ben says a blessing on me. I say a blessing on him. Then he blesses each of our children individually. We have the challah bread and we have wine or grape juice. And it is really special and really meaningful. Our children really look forward to that time. Yeah. I mean, you ask them what day of the week is their favorite. Hands down. Yeah. Shabbat. Yeah, definitely. It's their favorite day of the week. And so um, it, it's hard to hard to relate to people who say, well, why would you keep that? Isn't that burdensome? Yeah, it's you not. Know, there's there's this attitude, at least historically in Christianity and uh, theologically, there's this assumption that Torah is this unbearable burden. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is not the experience of those who actually keep it, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's liberating to yes. follow God's commandments. Yeah. And you know what? And I was listening to a podcast um, a while ago where there were some some Christian leaders talking about setting aside Sunday as their day of rest and the need for having a Sabbath, for having a physical day of rest. And they were talking, this one pastor was talking about how uh, he makes that a point to keep Sunday as a day where they just focus on God. And he says that they that sometimes people go to church on Sunday morning and they're like really tired and exhausted and they're like too tired to help set up chairs and things like that. And he says, well, that's because you need to begin your Sunday rest on Saturday night instead of like being out late at the movies. He <laughs> says he and his family actually sit down and they have a really special dinner on Saturday night to begin their Sunday Sabbath. And I was just listening <laughs> to that like, that is so close. Like, why not just do it on Friday night? Why not keep the day that God set us set apart for that? Right. Yeah. And to say that that it's a burden right. to have one day off a week. Right. Where all we, you know, we don't have to worry about work. We set aside all the hectic hassle from our work week and just enjoy yeah. God and his presence. Yeah. Just... And I mean, Christians used to keep Sunday as a Sabbath for a long time. Like even your grandparents. Yeah. Used to, for, right? for my for my grandfather, he was very strict about observing Sunday as a Sabbath, yeah. uh, and that was very much a part of um, the pr- previous generation's experience. My yeah, dad think... grew up, and you weren't supposed to play sports on Sunday, right? Right. You weren't. You, you didn't go to a restaurant on a Sunday because right. that's making someone work. Right, and that's um, how it was for many, many, many years. Right, but that's been lost. Even. Yeah. Right. Even that is no longer part of common Christian culture. Yeah. Um, and definitely not part of secular culture. So we've lost that. And in in my opinion, this is prime time to reclaim the Sabbath that God give it, gave us. And it's uh, it's a beautiful thing. Right. Yeah. And, and why not do it on the day that God exactly. chose? Like, you know, like God did pick a day for that. So. Right. <laughs> So in uh, in First John uh, chapter two verses three to five it says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But to whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. So there's this this sense in which by following him, walking in his cycles, and keeping his commandments. That's part of what it means to know God. We we come to know him uh, more intimately through obedience. And, uh, of course, there's much more to that obedience than just the Sabbath festivals and dietary laws. 
Um, there's there's so much uh, depth and room for growth and obedience to God, but we've just found how enriching these things have been for us. And, and you know, that, that verse ends, the love of God is perfected uh, through that. We keep God's commandments out of love, right? Right. Not out of fear or out of a, uh, this dread or compulsion or this legalism or whatever. We keep it because we love him. Right. The more you love someone, the more you want to do what they like, mm-hmm. and the more you want to avoid what they don't like. And First John four nineteen, we love because he first loved us. Yeshua gave himself for us. He gave he gave up everything for us. Right. How much more should we be willing to give up our little lives and you know our behaviors, our actions to him for his glory? And he says in John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Second John 1, 6, and this is love that we walk according to his commandments. Love results in obedience, right? The more we love him, the more we desire to follow him without compromise. That's not legalism. Legalism is following rules that God did not give us or following rules out of fear, but loving God and desiring to follow him in every aspect of our lives, that is not legalism. Yeah. And that, that does bring up an interesting question that could be a maybe a good topic for another time is what is legalism? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's not keeping God's commandments. Right, yeah. yeah. We shouldn't be scared of following God yeah. in case we become legalistic about it. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a good conversation yeah. to talk about maybe another time. Yeah, because Jesus wasn't legalistic, and he kept the commandments. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, related to legalism here is the common assumption that people have that if you start trying to keep Torah, that you're doing it in order to be saved. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually, I once had a pastor tell me that people like me are, quote, relying on the law. Oh dear. And and so I'm the kind of person that always thinks of good things to reply after the event and <laughs> so but I I remember I I've often contemplated that discussion since and thought why why would I be relying on the law for following God's commandments? I mean, is is this pastor relying on the commandment about abstaining from murder? I mean, as far as I know, he had never murdered anyone. Did that mean that he was relying on that commandment? Right. Right? I, I Like, most Christians get it that, uh, you know, moral issues, sexual immorality, murder, theft, lying, things like these that that we're expected to follow them, and that doesn't, at least for those who know what the Bible teaches, that doesn't earn us our salvation by following right. these things. But, but neither are they optional, right? It's not like... Uh, you can pick and choose and say, well, maybe I'll keep that today. Maybe I won't keep it tomorrow. Um, there's a sense in which they're very important, but that doesn't replace the work that Yeshua has done for us. And and so why would keeping those things be okay? But suddenly if you start, right. and like keeping, the... if you start keeping kosher and avoiding pork, suddenly you're being legalistic and trying to earn your salvation by doing yeah. it. Yeah, and some of those things, some of those heart issues are harder than not eating pork or right. keeping the Sabbath, right? Like You know, it's it's easy to control what you put into your mouth, relatively exactly. speaking. 
it's a lot harder to control what comes out of your mouth. Yeah. So, you know, like loving your neighbor, uh, not lusting after someone else, even in your mind. Right. And not lying and not gossiping and things like that. You know, most Christians would agree that we should be living that way. You know, so if you're trying to live that way, you're trying your best. Does that mean that you're relying on it for your salvation? Of course not. But Right. What? I guess to be fair, there are there are people out there maybe who do feel this sense that they have to earn their way to God, mm-hmm. right? And and that's not what the Bible teaches. But yeah, the the point is that you look at the example of the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt, mm-hmm. right? Uh, God didn't send Moses to Egypt to tell the children of Israel, "Hey, guess what? I'm going to deliver you from slavery as long as you agree to obey all my laws." Right. That's no, not what happened, that. right? First was Passover. The Passover lamb, the people were redeemed. They came out. God led them through the Red Sea. He destroyed their enemies. They were saved. Then, after they were saved, he brought them to Mount Sinai and gave them his commandments. Right. So he saved them where they were at. Right. And then after, he gave them commandments on how they should live. Right. Now that they've been a people that have been redeemed. We don't follow God's commandments in order to be saved. We follow them because we are saved. It's, yes. it's, it's the response of love to God's gracious act of redemption that he's accomplished in our hearts. And so, so yeah, I mean, that, that's an important thing that we have to, we have to get that order right. right? Yeah, yeah, we, the order is important. And, and so, yeah, we, we, we don't keep Torah in order to be saved. We keep Torah because we're saved. Mm-hmm. Now, Ben, what do you say to people who think that it's impossible to, quote unquote, keep all the Torah? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's something you encounter sometimes as I'm reading like New Testament scholars. There's this sense that, oh, the the commandments of the Torah are innumerable, uh, burdensome precepts that no one could ever. Uh, <laughs> This is, I'm not going to get the quote exactly right, but one scholar said, essentially, um, no one could even remember all the commandments of the Torah, never mind actually keep them. Hmm. (laughs) And I thought to myself, he's obviously never tried, (laughs) (laughs) right? Right. And I'm sure there are a lot of Jewish people in the world that would beg to differ with him (laughs) on that. And even a lot of people like us who are following Yeshua and would beg to differ with him. So, yeah, I mean, that would be my, my main response is if, if that's what you think, you've obviously never tried. Um, and I guess related to that is there's often this assumption among Christian theologians that if you're trying to keep Torah and you mess up once, you've blown it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, I've heard that. And I mean, the, the, I think it's based on passages like in James where he talks about if you stumble on one point you've disobeyed everything Mm -hmm. but that's taking James's point out of context right I mean it's like saying have you ever told a lie in your life or have you ever coveted something that wasn't yours right and like you know if you have does that mean that oh you've blown it now you should never try to not covet you should just go ahead and covet as much as you want because you've blown it once right yeah (laughs) when we fail we we confess our sins to God we repent of them and we turn and and try again and God asks us to try again right he doesn't say oh you failed don't even bother trying again right right and 
yeah, it's easy to develop this sense of cheap grace that I can just keep on sinning and grace will abound, as Paul mm. puts it, right? Mm-hmm. In the mouths of his, his adversaries. So Torah is not this impossible burden. That's not to say any of us will ever be perfect. Uh, Yeshua is the only one who ever kept Torah perfectly, right? He was without sin and he's the only one who is without yeah, absolutely. sin. But we're called to emulate him as much as possible. And, you know, you, if you stumble, you get up and you try again. And mm-hmm. it's not a burdensome drudgery. On the contrary, it's a joy, right? Right. Um, our experience and the experience of every other Messianic Torah believer that I know is that it's exciting. It's yeah. it's enjoyable, right? It's a, It's a pleasure to get to walk in God's commandments. And yeah, sometimes it's tough. Sometimes you end up at that gathering and find out that the only thing to eat is pepperoni pizza (laughs) and with pork pepperoni on it. And you're like, oh, I guess I can't have that. And, you know, and that's always a good reminder that we're different. Right. Um, When I was in university, I had a professor who was Jewish and she said that one time she had another Jewish lady complain to her and be like, you know, I just, I find it just so hard that I feel so different. You know, when I'm at a baseball game and there's hot dogs, all the other kids get a hot dog and my kid is the only one who can't get a hot dog. I just feel so different. And this professor of mine told her, well, that's good. It's supposed to make you feel different. (laughs) That's the point of it. If you feel different, (laughs) that's good. You know, sometimes we need those little reminders. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's not it's not just about what we eat that makes us different too, right? Right. What we say should yeah. make us oh. feel very different. Mm-hmm. The movies We're, we watch. The, move, the entertainment we indulge in. Yeah. Like in so many levels, we are called to be set apart from this world. Yeah. And so if we're in a secular environment and everyone else is indulging in gossip, for example, right. uh, as believers, we are called to have a categorically different sort of speech. Yeah. to be sanctified in our speech, right? Yeah. And and so that's going to set us apart. You're, yeah. There's going to be awkward situations where you yeah. can't participate in a conversation because of what what they're talking about. And that's that's just as socially ostracizing as not being able yeah. to eat the same thing that other people yeah. eat. And it's okay if it's hard. Right. But just because it's hard sometimes does not mean it's a drudgery or a burden. Right. 1 John 5 verse 3 For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. (laughs) Or look at in Psalm 119 verse 47, David says, I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Or in verse 97, oh, how I love your Torah. It is my meditation all the day. So, you know, Torah it's not like this this burdensome thing that we have to do. It's this exciting thing that we get to do. Every commandment is an opportunity to express our love and adoration to Yeshua. I suppose one other thing, talking about why we keep Torah, is, and this kind of touches on what you already said, Daria, about it just makes sense, right? Like, it felt so much like as our family was coming into this, that it made the Bible make sense. Yeah. It made our faith make sense. Suddenly, we felt like the whole Bible 
has God's instruction for us, not just the New Testament, right? right? The whole Bible is God's living words of instruction for his people. It gives substance to our walk. Mm-hmm. It's so easy, uh, in at least in some Christian circles, it seems like God's will is this ethereal, abstract thing that's out there. Torah gives concreteness to the will of God, right? We can read the Bible and see what it is that God wants us to do. We see what he likes and what he doesn't like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, God's lamp to our feet and his light to our path. That's what the Torah is to us, right? Right. And so, yeah, the the Sabbath, the the biblical feasts, they, they give us physical signs of spiritual truths, right? Um, they're a way for our children to engage all their senses in learning about their faith. You know, if, if we get rid of all that stuff, if you get rid of quote unquote ritual to the point where everything is abstract, our children aren't able to grasp that at a young age. Because, you know, children don't think very abstractly Yeah, and they need those those concrete things i i just i always think that's so beautiful how at a at a passover seder you know it's this super important meal of the year and instead of it being this like lofty time you know a philosophical discussion there's concrete things on the table there's bitter herbs there's matzah bread there's a a shank bone there's wine there's grape juice and so and each of those things you know there's parsley that we dip in the salt water these these are all symbolic of different things and as we're going through the seder we're telling we're telling the story of Mm -hmm. god's deliverance to our children our children get to see it they get to taste it they get to touch it you know why is the matzah like this why does it have stripes why is it flat why can't we have yeast you Mm -hmm. know and we can explain that to them each year each year our children ask you know at least one of them asks during Sukkot well why do we live why are we supposed to have temporary dwellings for Sukkot why do we set up a sukkah and we get to talk about that and and the meaning and you know as they get older we can talk about the deeper meanings of things and so it's just a wonderful visual reminder and for us as well each year to think about Mm -hmm. these deep parts of our faith yeah, every year at Passover is a chance to renew that sense of awe at God's redemption that he has accomplished through Yeshua. Yeah, and he wants us to remember that, especially at that time. Mm-hmm. And Yeshua commanded us, do this in remembrance of me. What right. was he doing when he said that? Exactly. He was doing a Passover Seder, Yeah. right? So if that's not a commandment to keep Passover, I'm not sure what is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is... And I know that in historical Christianity, that has been taken as a reference to the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. Um, but let's remember what the original context was. And if our motto is to imitate our master, why not do it on Passover? Why not have a Passover right. Seder why modeled pick a after what? Time, yeah. Right? Why not do something modeled after what Yeshua actually did with right. his disciples? So it's just it's been beautiful and meaningful for our family and makes our faith come alive and and alive in ways that our children can grasp, that they can see, they can touch, they can taste, and uh, they remember these things. 
So that kind of sums up why we keep Torah. Like I said at the beginning, our goal here was not to present a systematic theological defense or explain all the potential objections that arise from, from Paul's writings or, or other New Testament passages. And that maybe would take longer we'll, than half an hour. Yeah, and in future podcasts, hopefully we'll be able to tackle some of those passages. But in this, we just wanted to share our experience and try to communicate the beauty of God's Torah and that this is a blessing which, which should not be seen as off-limits to followers of Yeshua. On the contrary, we're offered the privilege of embracing this blessing. So with that, we'll wrap up our conversation for this time. The Segula Discussion Podcast is brought to you by Segula.net. Our goal is to cast a vision for a healthy and mature Messianic Torah movement and deal with issues that affect our everyday lives as disciples of Yeshua. If you have suggestions for topics that we should discuss on this show, send us an email at feedback at segula.net. Whether you are Messianic, Christian, Torah observant, or whatever lingo you prefer, we hope this conversation has been a blessing to you, and together may we all become a glorious people in Messiah.